0: Radio Rounds, the podcast series specifically for physicians
1: and healthcare professionals presented by St. Louis Children's Hospital. The number of pediatric cancer survivors is growing rapidly as treatments become more effective. However, many current regimens can cause gonadotoxicity or permanent infertility, significantly impacting the quality of life of these patients. My guests today are Dr. Kenan Omertag. He's a Washington University Reproductive Endocrinologist and Infertility Specialist. And Dr. Emily Youngheim. She's a Washington University Reproductive Endocrinologist and Infertility Specialist. Welcome to the show, doctors. So, Dr. Omertag... I'll start with you. Please briefly explain you and Dr. Youngheim's relationship to St. Louis Children's Hospital.
2: So, Dr. Youngheim, thanks again also, by the way, Melanie, for having us. Um, Dr. Youngheim and I are board-certified reproductive endocrinologists here at WashU with a combined um, 15-plus years of experience in fertility preservation. <clears throat> we ha- Because of that experience in our relationship between Washington University and St. Louis Children's, we have a collaborative relationship with the pediatric oncology department that entails monthly meetings where we review pediatric oncology patients um, and their reproductive goals and desires, both current, undergoing current treatment and those who may have completed treatment and are interested in the effects of their chemo later in life, uh, particularly as it relates to reproduction. So we serve as a consultation service to the pediatric oncology folks at Children's to help um, patients preserve fertility and reach their reproductive goals through whatever means necessary.
1: And Dr. Youngheim, what are some possible complications that can arise in pediatric cancer patients? In terms of fertility, what are some of the effects of chemotherapy and or radiotherapy on male and female fertility?
0: Um, So it really depends on what type of chemotherapy a child might be receiving or where the radiotherapy might be directed. Um, For the most part, uh, chemotherapeutic agents that are attacking rapidly dividing cells are also going to attack oocytes for girls or sperm for boys. Um, and where someone is in their reproductive or pubertal development can also um, influence how, uh, how negative these uh, treatments might impact the, the ovaries and the testes. In any case, our concern is that if there is an insult early on to the eggs or the sperm for girls or boys, this is going to impact their ability to get pregnant down the road. Um, uh, and radiotherapy, same thing. And, and the more... Um, uh, some of the alkylating agents, for example, are going to be more damaging than some other agents, uh, and then the radiotherapy that, that can leave permanent damage to the gonads.
1: Dr. Omertag, in your opinion or in your experience, are patients with cancer interested in interventions to preserve fertility when you speak to the families? What are you hearing?
2: Yeah, so this is a great question because more as cancer therapy has gotten significantly more focused and uh, mortality rates have declined and there are more survivors, particularly in the pediatric population, more and more people are interested in what happens after cancer treatment. Um, because, and fertility preservation is a big proponent of that as reproduction is a big element of one's life post-chemo. So this is something that families are very interested in and we are advocating. You know, We want our families, we want our pediatricians to be telling their patients to talk about future reproductive implications of the chemotherapy and talk about fertility preservation strategies. And that's where we come in because we can counsel those patients about fertility preservation, whether it's freezing sperm, banking sperm, or freezing eggs. Um, Those things are the services that we can provide those families. And, you know, the one other thing I'll add is that when you talk a, when you talk to a cancer patient about reproduction, that gives that patient additional hope that, look, you know, there's a good prognosis here that I'm going to survive this cancer diagnosis because they're already talking to me about my future reproductive goals. I'm 15 years old. I haven't even thought about that. But the fact that they want to at least address that with me means that they're, you know, they know that I have a good prognosis. So it's part of the therapy in 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 some to some extent.
1: Dr. Omertag, I'm sticking with you for a minute along this same line. What is the role of the oncologist in advising patients about fertility <laughs> preservation?s And when a specialist such as yourself might be brought in?
2: I think the role of the oncologist is critical because they are the first point in which the patient is going to talk about chemotherapy. So, Dr. Youngheim. Um, you know, has has been working. Myself, we've been working to kind of increase education with the oncologist to have that conversation about fertility preservation, and the uptake has been excellent. Um, so the oncologists are very good at saying, "Hey, this is part of," and incorporating into their counseling to the patients, and then directing those patients to us to talk about their options for fertility preservation.
1: Dr. Youngheim, if the child is pre-pubertal, how will this affect their ability? To go through puberty, and will it affect? So, does it? Does the treatments obviously might affect some of their puberty? But where is fertility in that picture?
0: So, if uh, if the damage from chemotherapy or radiation is enough that it kills those cells that are making testosterone or estrogen, that can impact um, that can impact puberty. Um, So that's something else that we keep in mind, and we work closely with other providers, pediatric endocrinologists, in thinking about these kinds of things. Um, In regards to what options are available for preserving fertility, though, in these kids, those become experimental. So unfortunately, you can't get a mature egg from a girl who hasn't gone through puberty yet. You can't get a mature sperm cell from a boy who hasn't gone through puberty yet. Um, So one of the really neat things about working in an academic medical center like Washington University is there are folks thinking about what types of uh, different research protocols where we could potentially bank gonadal tissue from boys or girls. And uh, down the road, um, hopefully research will tell us how to utilize that tissue and then obtain mature gametes, mature eggs or sperm from these tissues and use them for these folks as they... um, If they enter uh, their reproductive years and want to have their own genetically related children.
1: So Dr. Youngheim, what's the quality of evidence supporting current or forthcoming options for preservation of fertility in females?
0: Well, for girls who are post-pubertal and boys who are post-pubertal, the good news is we offer the same types of treatments that these folks are getting for fertility preservation. We, We offer them in our general reproductive endocrinology and infertility practices. Um, so they are proven technologies that we can offer quite comfortably and say, you know, and give a, a real um, option for having genetically related children. So that's the great news there. In regards to options for prepubertal kids, that's where it's a little less clear. Um, having said that, just tremendous progress has been made in learning how to um, get mature gametes from gonadal tissue in the last several years. So. While it might not be possible right now to use those tissues to get mature gametes, with the amount of progress that's been made in the last five years, it's pretty exciting to think that we probably will be there at the time. You know, if a kid came in today at age 11 and banked prepubertal tissue, it's, I mean, 20 years from now, 15 years from now, when these kids get to be reproductive ages and want to have their own genetically related children, I suspect the technology will get there, will be there to offer them this chance.
1: Is there any option now for after treatment, how we'll know if the child's fertility has been affected?
0: Oh, that's a great question. So we've got markers that we can use to get an idea, um, and we can track these markers and see how they change over time. But there's no clear... answer to how an insult is going to impact someone's long-term um, reproductive aging. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, it probably depends on what type of chemotherapy someone might receive, how much of it they receive, where in their um, reproductive pro- or their pubertal process they receive that chemo or radiation. There are all sorts of things that we need to take into account. Um, so the answer is that we don't have that answer yet, um, but they're all People thinking about it. Um, there's a woman at University of California at San Diego, uh, Dr. Irene Su, one of our colleagues in reproductive medicine who's doing a study looking at markers of ovarian reserve after chemotherapy to see how they change and how they might relate to um, reproductive aging and, and eventually menopause so that we can have better information to inform these kids and their parents of how the chemotherapy or radiation therapy might impact their, long time, their long-term uh, reproductive aging and uh, and options in the future.
1: Dr. Omertag, what about for males? Is there a quality of evidence supporting some forthcoming options or current options for the preservation of their fertility?
2: Yeah, historically, so in, in regard to the standard of care, the standard of care for males to bank uh, uh, for fertility preservation would be to bank sperm. And that's been the standard of care for a long time, and that's proven. And a lot of it has to do with how simple, at least compared to retrieving eggs, retrieving sperm is. I mean, we just get a typically it's a masturbatory ejaculatory sample, um, and you can freeze the sperm. Um, for eggs, for egg freezing, it's a little more involved. Um, <clears throat> for and this is for any but any male who is post-pubertal. And then the next question I'll always get is, well, how do you know a boy has sperm in his ejaculate? Um, And that's a very important question when I see these patients, because I might see a 12-year-old or a 13-year-old Dr. Youngheim and I might see these patients and we don't know. So we tell the, we tell the parent you know, that at this point we just need to get a semen analysis to determine whether they have sperm in the ejaculate. So one way we do that is to just kind of look at, you know, do a physical exam. Um, there are markers on physical exam that can give us a sense of um, where a adolescent boy is in pubertal development, and that will help us predict whether or not, there, to some extent, whether or not there will be sperm in the ejaculate. Um, so there is good evidence for sperm banking for fertility preservation. Okay, for prepubertal boys, extracting testicular tissue and getting immature sperm, where you know these. These testicular islands may not, there are sperm cells, but they are not fully developed. Um, So developing those sperm cells may have to be done in culture. And those efforts are being led across the world. Um, They're lagging a little bit behind the egg cryopreservation, uh, the egg tissue, uh, I'm sorry, the ovarian tissue cryopreservation efforts but they're happening, uh, you know, they're happening. Um, So time will tell um, how beneficial that the, 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 those efforts would be for prepubertal boys. The good thing with adolescent cancer survivors in general is that many of them, due to their young age, can withstand the chemotherapy that they get. But it's, you can't make such a broad statement because some people get more, some people get less. It depends on the chemotherapeutic agents. Some of these patients will still be able to um, spontaneously conceive without fertility preservation. But again, the whole point is to be proactive and have an insurance policy, so to speak, because there is a high chance, at least greater than 50% chance that many of these people will need to use their um, preserved uh, gametes after chemotherapy.
1: And Dr. Almertag, sticking with you for a second, is sexual function relatively spared during some of these treatments, and is testicular dysfunction one of the more common long-term side effects of chemotherapy in males? And how does that affect what you tell the families?
2: So this is a great so this is a great um, point because I'll see adolescents who have you know with bone cancers who have undergone essentially sterilizing chemotherapy. They banked sperm before. So their reproductive um, future is intact, despite the fact that they're making no sperm in their testicles currently. What goes along with the sterilizing chemotherapy is their testicles' ability to make testosterone. And as a result, they may have problems with libido, okay? They may also have problems, although not necessarily all the time, they may have some other erectile, they might have erectile dysfunction, they might have some other sexual dysfunction. So that is something that we talk about with these patients, and there are therapies like testosterone replacement that can help, you know, mitigate those concerns.
1: Dr. Youngheim, what does current research indicate for future developments and treatments? Give us a little blueprint for future research. Well, we're pretty good
0: at uh, providing fertility preservation services that work um, for kids that are post Uh We've talked about egg banking, we've talked about sperm banking, but where there are a lot of um, Gray zones are an opportunity to bank tissue from prepubertal girls and prepubertal boys to obtain gametes that can actually result in a viable pregnancy. So Dr. Omertag alluded to that a little bit, um, and uh, that's really where the research lies right now. Um, and uh, there's a lot of progress being made. There's also research being done on are there medications that could prevent um, gonadotoxicity from chemotherapy? So different, looking at different pathways um, in which eggs mature and sperma, and spermatocytes mature over time? Can you intervene there and prevent the effects of chemotherapy on those cells? Um, so there's research being done there with medications to prevent genetic toxicity of, of agents used to treat cancer and also how can we bank tissues from these prepubertal kids and then get viable gamete um, that can be used down the road.
1: And Dr. Youngheim, in summary, what can you tell other pediatricians that you would like them to know about advising their pediatric cancer patients on fertility preservation? Well,
0: i just like to let pediatricians know that these there are viable options that are accessible and attainable for kids that are facing uh, chemotherapy for fertility preservation. And it may not seem, um, you know, things happen so quickly sometimes for these kids and needing them to get treatment, but... Uh, at least at WashU, we're always available for consultation. If you're out in uh, a more rural practice and there aren't quick options to get someone in to see someone, um, you know, reach out to your, uh, you know, close nearby uh, academic medical center uh, in uh, more of your metropolitan areas and, and get information for these folks. They're great online resources too. Um, MyUncleFertility.org is one. Uh, the National Fish Physicians Cooperative through Fertility has a listing of all the different academic, medical, and private practices that provide these services. Um, and if you look on there, you might be able to find someone. Even if it doesn't seem like there's someone close providing these services, you might be able to find someone there. Um, and things are changing rapidly in this field. So just stay tuned. And, and please, if you think you have somebody who uh, may be impacted down the road, or if you're even wondering if they might be impacted down the road, please reach out to a reproductive endocrinologist or OBGYN if you don't have access to a reproductive endocrinologist. And um, we'll, we'll do what we can to help, help these kids make sure they have options down the road.
1: Thank you so much, both of you, for being with us today. A physician can refer a patient by calling Children's Direct Physician Access Line at 1-800-678-HELP. That's 1-800-678-4357. You're listening to Radio Rounds with St. Louis Children's Hospital. For more information on resources available at St. Louis Children's Hospital, you can go to stlouischildrens.org. That's stlouischildrens.org. This is Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for listening.